thank you and welcome uh, to Energy Talks, uh, part of the Ulisa Sichesra series by the Kenya Civil Society platform on oil and gas. Uh, today in studio we have Kwame Owino. Uh, Kwame Owino is an eminent economist uh, and the executive director of the Institute for Economic Affairs in Kenya. Uh, Karibu Kwame. Thank you. Um, so I want to start today by just, you know, tell us a bit more about IEA. Uh, I know IEA has been, I think, has been on the scene now for over, is it 20 to 30 years? Is it? Yes, 30 years next year. 30 years next year. Wow, what a milestone. Um, so yeah, I mean, tell us a bit more about IEA at the moment. What are you, I mean, what are you working on? What are you trying to... Uh... Okay, let me start with the... Uh, the IEA was formed in um, uh, 1992. So the idea about the IEA started in 1992 because in that year, uh, for the first time in almost a generation, Kenya reverted to multi-party democracy. There's an opportunity that a new political party that was not affiliated to Kanu, which had led for 30 years, would be coming to power, could come to power. So it was a small chance, but it was real. And so a group of Kenyan professionals came together, and what they wanted to do was to harness the voices of professionals in ongoing uh, political, economic, social reforms, social policy reforms at the time, but at the same time decided that there's a possibility that this a new or political uh, party might come in, and the, the intention was to provide it with a small platform of 100 days work plan that they could execute immediately. Um, and the third idea was basically our work is to democratize um, knowledge around the economy, around public affairs generally, so that we have the voices of professionals and Kenyans in it. So that's our journey. So started in 92, but formally registered in 1994. So in a couple of years, will be 30 years here. The IEA will be 30 years. Okay. Now, we work in many areas, but as I said, most of our work is just basically to harness, to democratize um, policy debate around public affairs, to create proper public education and how a modern economy works, and to make people to, to harness the voices of Kenyan citizens in public affairs uh, generally. So that's, uh, that's what we do. And we work across public budgets, we work on international trade um, and development, we work on um, economic regulation, which is something related to energy, which we discussed today. We have um, a, a program on popular economics, which is to, to, to teach about popular economics. And we have also a program that works with the understanding the law and the economy, how the constitution, basically, which is one of the biggest projects that Kenyans have successfully accomplished, and how it intersects with the economy and public life. Um, and of course, the final one is just basically a conceptual program for building, it's called, we call it the futures methodology, which is uh, using futures methodology such as scenarios building to understand uh, the challenges that our society faces. Yeah, I mean, um, I'll just take you back a bit to popular economics, because uh, economics is one of those subjects where I think a lot of people and a lot of Kenyans find a challenge uh, in terms of just understanding. Um, I mean, they feel the impacts, uh, definitely. Um, so you can hear them complaining, but they don't. They can't track back to see, okay, this is the exact point where, where we're being hit. Mm. Well, um, it's true. I think um, if you look at, in every society, when, when an opportunity for, when democracy grows, one of the things that happens is people, you, you actually start to see lots of opinions about how the economy should run, how it works and all that. So that's a natural thing. Um, now, we at the IEA try to, um, because obviously we try to bring it closer. So we, we are not an academy in the sense that we are a university that trains students. But we think everybody can become a competent or a reasonably competent economist. Now, I'm not saying 
printing papers with a lot of delta mathematics. <laughs> but I'm just saying publishing papers. But I'm saying that you understand something about the fact that if this year you, you're shopping and you spend this amount of money and the next year it's a little less or a little more, people are curious to understand why, what has changed, why am I keeping less money or why is uh, why are my savings not getting me as much uh, uh, as I think it should. Uh, if you're making investments and you're going to government and you realize that for a, for a, to, to open a business requires you to have 11 different licenses, for instance. So that's true. The, the businesses that require you to have 11 different... Just to open a restaurant within, uh, within Nairobi, you have to get one from whichever ministry, another from health and stuff like that. So all those things are actually questions of uh, political economy in the sense that there are decisions made on your behalf by people who, who supposedly care for your welfare. So we need to ask ourselves, how do I know enough to be able to, where necessary, push back, but also to ask about what's the logic of some of these decisions the government and public officers take on our place. If that happens, that yes, you've entered the realm of understanding the economy, and that's a useful thing for, for a citizen. Oh, okay. I think that's a good segue to, so we'll go back to 2012. Yes. Um, the Kenyans are complaining, saying, uh, you know, the price of fuel, um, there's always a challenge. The price of fuel goes up, um, there's no translation down because then the company say, oh, we still have stocks from uh, the, the previous period. Um, so, but also, I mean, they also felt, you know, there was a, a significant strain. So the minister then uh, comes in with the sort of this popular uh, legislation, the price controls. Yes. Um, and so, I mean, let's just start there. I mean, tell us a bit more about your, I mean, your opinion first on price controls um, and how policy, I mean, so this, we're talking about popular economics before, but you know, so it's sort of populist legislation. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's true. For a long time after liberalization of petroleum prices happened, and it happened, I think uh, petroleum prices were liberalized, I think, in 93 or 94, um, many Kenyans suspected that the big oil companies, and many of them were foreign, um, were colluding to fix prices. Um, now, there's no evidence for it, but there's a there's a there's that claim because in some parts of Africa that had been found. Yeah. Um, so yes, in 2012, um, many Kenyans, of course, prices started to go up because at that time oil prices were going up. Yeah. One of the things that uh, happened was because oil prices prices were not controlled anymore. Each company had its own. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, I mean it's, um, each company because it has its own cost base, it has its own mechanism. People were surprised that sometimes they had fairly similar prices and other times not and yet the importation was taking place altogether. So people said to ask what explains these differences. In addition to that was this, the regular price rises in the sense that when international oil prices went up, yeah. understandably they go up here. But if they ever dropped, there would not be a corresponding change. So people said to say, look, consumers said to say, look, someone's playing a game with us. Yeah. Um, and so there was pressure on parliament to respond through a price control instrument. And parliament called some hearings, we appeared and our view was that if we do not have evidence that there's collusion, it's dangerous to, to, to place a price control mechanism because many Kenyans are younger. Uh, I was younger as well, but I remember as a primary school child, one of the things that was clear during month or certain portions was you couldn't find gas. Yeah. And sometimes our parents would have to call a specific person to tell you, okay, you guys, gas is available. Sometimes um, um, if you go to rural areas or other parts of this country, you'd see people lining up to buy kerosene. Yeah. And that's a predictable effect on the price control regime. So as a student of economics, putting this together, was, we were conscious at the IEA that a price control should be the absolute last option for government. But there was pressure. 
And so the way the, the ministry responded was to simply say that, look, we'll define some essential goods uh, or law which decides that uh, petroleum among other goods. Um, subsequently, the the uh, I mean, it was called the ERC then, Energy yeah. Regulatory Commission, but it's now the Energy and Petroleum Regulatory Authority, was asked to develop a formula yeah. uh, which would basically cap what the margins of the big companies are, yeah. um, corporations, right, across the value chain. I, so I don't want to stop you uh, yes. there, but I mean, I'll, we'll come back to that okay. that aspect. But do you feel that at that point, because yes. um, you already then, um, it's now called a competition authority, but it was then, it was a monopolies and prices yes, commission. commission. Yes. Isn't that the point where, if you're suspecting there's collusion, isn't that the point where that commission should have come and sort of exercise its mandate? Actually, they were asked to do that, and I think a paper, uh, the report was released to Parliament, but released to the public in 2015, oh, wow. which found that there was no collusion. Oh, really? The, but yes, the Competition Commission actually found that there's no collusion. Yeah. It suggested that there were price leadership, where the biggest firms, yeah. if they changed their prices, the others would follow. But uh -huh, there was okay. no collusion per se in terms of uh, people meeting or signaling to each other to keep prices at some level. Um, suggesting that the, 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 the economy had its own um, problems, one of them was with regulation. There's a lot of adulteration of fuel. Yeah. Yes. But that report yeah. found that there was no collusion taking place, which was curious. I mean, not, not necessarily curious, but the detail that they went to yeah. suggests that, okay, perhaps the problem is something else different from what we think, or uh, it might have been inflation and the pressures of uh, income not growing fast enough. Relative yeah. to the prices of petroleum, and yeah. therefore Kenyans feel the pinch. But that report actually concluded unequivocally. But also, I mean, international crude prices. Then I think there was a time at at it high over yes, even hundred dollars, close to hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So that's 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 the point. So okay. that report is available. I think it's available on their website. Okay. So Kenyans can just uh, yes. But even we were, um, um, I mean, first it was pleasant in the sense that. Okay, if they've been colluding, yeah. there have been a very serious uh, violation. Yeah. And at the same time, would have suggested that the other institutions, whether it's the Energy Regulatory Commission, uh, Treasury, um, and the government in general, yeah. was just watching as these people were actually exploiting consumers. But they, they didn't find any collusion, which is oh, quite interesting. interesting. So, so government goes ahead and sets up Yes, price parliament price. goes ahead nevertheless. Yeah. It says, look, <clears throat> regardless of that, yeah. this price gouging, where price gouging is uh, because they had controls, they were taking huge margins, uh, partly because Kenyans did not have an alternative. Yeah. Um, and so this price control formula was set. Um, it was minimal, but it was, I mean, it was very complexly drawn. So yeah. not many Kenyans could actually respond when it was placed for public for uh, for public participation. Yes. So it went, it went ahead. We at the IEA again were completely opposed to it. We are opposed in principle to price controls. Yeah. And then we also posed to the fact that this was designed in such a way. So listen, the reason an open market or rather a competitive market is important is if a, a, a player, by, by a player I mean a, um, a firm that is dealing whether they retail at the wholesale level, plans its business poorly, sells petroleum or a product at, at rates that do not meet its cost, then it will go out of business. And that pressure of competition is essential for consumers because if you know firms are not competing, then... Uh, it doesn't matter. They'll make money nevertheless. This formula fixed the margins yeah. for the dealers, I think at uh, three shillings per liter, and for the wholesalers at uh, four shillings per liter, and for the wholesalers at three, which means regardless of what happens, yeah. they would be making money for selling one liter of oil. Yeah. And that's a bad incentive from an economics perspective because you designed it in such a way 
that the only things they'll try to chase is volumes, but they don't lose money because uh, they'll make money regardless. And I think giving them uh, the idea that a three... Sh- so, for instance, what says that four shillings is, 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 is a good margin? <laughs> yeah. I mean, who decides that four shillings is a good margin? So, if they sell a litre at, uh, um, at 100, they make four shillings nevertheless. If, if it's 110, it's still four shillings nevertheless. Yeah. And, and, and our view was that that's very little incentive for them to be creative with uh, providing um, uh, products. Uh, yeah. But I mean, Kwame, I think one of the things there is also, have you been surprised by the lack of private sector? In, in, in most places, private sector are, are some of the key people who are stepping in against price controls. Um, yes. In many places, I think, uh, especially if you're, the, or, or if, if you're private sector and you're buying yeah. uh, from them, yeah. then obviously you know that they don't have an incentive completely. Yeah. To provide you efficient products because they know it's four shillings, nevertheless, right? Yeah. It's four shillings one way, four shillings that. If they had an opportunity to actually say that, okay, I can actually shrink my, I mean, I can actually shrink my margins by shrinking, say, making it three, three, three shillings a liter, and then selling many, many, much, much more, so that they can play with the, um, with the volumes and actually get it from that. But yeah. right now, they have no incentive for that at all. Yeah. They have no incentive for that because whether you are selling your petroleum in Kisumu whether you're selling it in Malindi or whether you're selling it in Mombasa, regardless, your margin will be four shillings. Um, so I guess that's, um, that's not and, and this incentive for competition. It's having an, an impact as well on, on other sectors. I mean, I, I mean, it's a bit anecdotal, but um, I mean, for example, even in terms of advertising, yes. I mean, what's the incentive to advertise? If, you know, you've got your margin and you, your, position, your, your stations are positioned well within the market. So, I mean, there's no other extra, you know, you're not attracting uh, customers by coming to, um, I'm sorry, I mean, to, to try and come to yours instead of um, yeah. the other stations. In addition to obviously just something that we noticed right at the beginning. Yeah. So, if you look at the oil business, the formula, the formula is, uh, is, uh, is, the formula takes account of, or rather the way the formula accounts for petroleum is in terms of volume, which is basically, um, in terms of its weight in kilograms yeah. uh, and tons. Yeah. But when you're selling, the margin is determined in terms of liters. Liter. So that's, th- there's no incentive for them to actually use the volumes properly to ensure that the same volumes that are, are converted is the same thing that converts back to the, to, to the liter. All through, I actually think the, vo- the, the formula has been constructed in such a way that the, that the citizen or the consumer pays regardless of who is inefficient throughout the pipeline. So it has not encouraged efficiency in the pipeline. It has only encouraged efficiency. I mean, it has only fixed the quantity, the, the price for per liter. I guess that's not a good way to, to go. But the truth is this, they're just trade-offs to make. Once you go a price control mechanism, um, it will always, almost always transfer inefficiencies to the, to the consumer. Why? What happens is either uh, you have the kind of cheating that we're having now, or uh, there'll be shortages. So what, you know what happens at the end of the month if whenever farms suspect that prices will go down, right? Yeah. They hold, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Or when they think prices, or rather, when they, when they know prices, prices will go up, they hold. Yeah. They hold because they have, uh, the margin will be stretched in a, in a different way. So all those things, yeah. having people wait at a, a fuel station for three hours to fill up and all that. So you're paying for the fact that the prices are capped yeah. with your time lining up on a, on a, on a, yeah. at a filling station before it's got, it's gotten out. So that's, yeah, and price. I mean, so over the years, uh, when it started off, I mean, we started off at a high, you yes. know, $100 a barrel yes. of oil internationally. 
but has gone down yes. subsequently. I think even last year it had sort of almost, you know, sort of uh, leveled out yeah. uh, to almost $20 yeah. per barrel in some instances. Um, but then government filled that void with, uh, with taxes. Mm -hmm. So the petroleum development levy was increased by five shillings from 40 cents. Yes. Um, the vatable base was also increased yeah. uh, during that period. So eight years later, uh, we're back to 2012, where uh, again, people are in uproar. The price is too too high. Um, and so we've had this instance where now in the last um, review, even though the prices of interna internationally had gone up by 9%, yeah. there was no increment, yes. right? And so um, I want you to, I mean, just walk us through how that, uh, how that mechanism is being implemented. Okay, uh, okay. Yeah. so let's start with the fact that um, while we, and this was also the reason why at the Institute of Economic Affairs in 2013, we were opposed to the, this price control mechanism. It's, it's called a managed price. I know many countries use it. It's even used in India. Yeah. But, but, but the reason we were opposed to it was first, if Kenyans consumers are rightly concerned about the price of petroleum and obviously the escalation of prices, for every liter of petroleum sold, right? <laughs> for every liter of petroleum sold, remember that the margin for the retailer consumer so the entire chain, I think, gets 11 shillings, 11 shillings and 70 cents or something like that for all the people who bring it in all the way to the water. Yes. The government of Kenya gets three and a half to four times as much. So the price of petroleum is 55% <laughs> laxes, as you mentioned them, you know, yeah. there's an excise duty, there's a... Um, there's VAT, there's excess duty, there's, um, there's the petroleum development levy. Development levy. <laughs> it's one form of tax for the other yeah. on the petroleum. Before, there's even a taxation on the margin for the other side, for, for, the, for the farms that, that trade petroleum. Yeah. So the price of petroleum is actually, you call it the price of petroleum, yeah. but it's actually taxes, then with the petroleum price. <laughs> <laughs> a bit but, of petroleum. Yes, yeah. That's a political thing. It's yeah. a political economy thing. Yeah. And it's easy to see why. Because petroleum is very easy to tax. Yeah. Uh, not largely because the infrastructure can be identified, uh, the farms are dealing it are big dealers, um, and it's easy to just snip taxes off it. So part of that is the fact that um, that's it. Irrespective of what the price of petroleum is, the person who's taking up the big biggest share is definitely the government, and by a huge budget. The rest are costs related to everybody transporting. Would you, would you say it's a lazy tax? I mean, because. Yes, I, I think for care it calculates all the uh, you know like corporate tax and you know it's it's complex. But this is a sort of straightforward way at the pump, and then yeah. Precisely, and I, and, I, and I think that while people blame care and everybody, it's just it's just uh, parliament. Yeah. Those taxes would not apply if parliament did not pass them, so they passed. Um, so that's true. Now that is the part where we hope more public education could be focused, yeah. so that you say it's true. Paying 130 liters for for for, for a liter of petrol. Um, I mean, a premium is high, whatever yeah. it is we say it. Uh, yeah. But how much of that is actually related to the product you're consuming, and how much of it is just basically government creaming taxes? And it's a lot. Yeah. So, coming down to the last few weeks, you know, the problem about petroleum is because it's part of the economy as well, yeah. it's also a reflection of what the conditions that the, of the public budgets are. Yeah. And the government of Kenya, obviously, over the last few years has had serious, serious, serious problems with, with its expenditure. So a government that believes in spending money as quickly as it can be made, um, obviously looks to, quote-unquote, softer places. And petroleum is easy. You simply adjust pump prices today, or you adjust the taxes today, 
and they're effective from tomorrow the next month. And I think that's one of the things that has happened. So the petroleum product is so easy. It's, it's an important product. It passes through the port, so it's very easy to, to track all the way down to, to the consumer's pocket. And I think that's what's happened. But are we reaching um, uh, a, a sort of the, the ceiling in terms of that? Because, um, again, anecdotal, uh, but the other day I went to, I was looking for barrels. You know, we cut these barrels and, and use them to feed our goods yes. sometime. Mm. Um, and um, I remember the, I mean, the seller there was saying there's, there's a particular one which uh, is in short supply because people are using that currently to go to the borders to collect diesel that's cheaper um, in Ethiopia, uh, cheaper in Uganda and, and, and Tanzania. Yeah. So, I mean, I reached the point at some point that that tax, again, wouldn't make sense because, again, the, and also you mentioned the issue before of, so because of our landlocked neighbors, a lot of the, the fuel passes through here. Yeah. So Kenya has three problems. One of them used to be the quality of fuel because of adulteration. You remember people used to take kerosene and use it to, yeah. to, to, to add to that, and it was damaging many, many agents. So we added kerosene tax as well to, yes, yes, to make we added, it more expensive. Yes, yes, to try and make, yeah. it less, to, uh, make it more expensive. So that's one. Uh, the second one is just the, the, the volume of tax. And then what it does is diversion. So yeah. you have petroleum flowing through Kenya, which is supposed to, which is marked by KRA. Obviously, it's color, you know, it's color coded to, to, to pass all the way, but it's diverted through through the borders yeah. um, into the country. But also, we know that in, at the border stations, there are people who simply cross into Tanzania on one side and into Uganda, buy fuel from that and come with it here. Yeah. Um, so that's that's that, now that comes from the way you manage this. So if you have a product that is tradable across a border, yeah. but Kenyan's taxes are completely insane. Yeah. <laughs> then obviously that kind of thing is going to happen. Yeah. Um, so that too is something that shows we need to be conscious about the fact that this is an international product. It's available across the borders. Of course, there are, there are ways of color coding and everything else, but people don't care. If you have a van, or I mean, if you have a van, you drive into to Mombasa, uh, rather drive into Tanzania to the border, you simply feel on the other side that you come back with your car completely filled up. Now, those are marginal ones because there are not too many people who can drive all the way just to buy 50 liters of fuel, yeah. but that's happening. So yeah. that's smuggling. It's real. Yeah, it's real, and I don't think it's something you can solve by simply putting more more policemen on the on the borders. Because what happens is the difference in fuel in some parts of this country and Uganda and Tanzania come to almost 20 shillings. Exactly. Um, so if somebody can come and save 10 shillings and buy volumes, yeah. they have an incentive to 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 use the incentive in that kind of cross border smuggling. Yeah. In addition to bribery. Yeah. Yeah. If, I mean, there's a. If the margins are that huge, huge. if it's 20 shillings, then, yeah. then it does. Yeah. Uh, so it's a suggestion about Kenya's taxation problem. Okay. It even happens with beer. Yeah. Kenya makes the, the best beer invariably. I mean, it wins international prizes. Um, but beers across the border are much, much cheaper. So mm. people go to the other side, buy beer, and then, I mean, okay. go to, to oh. corner, I mean, to, to border towns, yeah. you find people filtering back. Um, Beer products into this country because of the differentials in prices, and so this, that's, that's that's the. Do you feel like that transition has happened before? It used to be same taxes, right? So you always knew each budget will increase. Yes. Um, and again, so now that has reached sort of a cap now. I, I uh, think that when you get to the point where, like, I think based on the last prices, almost 60, 65 or sixty-six shillings, yeah. more than fifty percent actually, of premium prices when you fill a car. Yeah. It's taxes. It's taxes. Um, definitely, you're not going to, to, to extinguish the incentive for people to start cheating. You know, diverting oil from here, 
um, uh, going to the borders to, to come and do that, and even adulteration. <clears throat> because what happens is uh, the chemistry of this tells you uh, that the entire oil product comes from a single refinery process. Yeah. Now, so if you have fuel, um, I mean, an excise tax or you have VAT applying to, to premium yeah. and it does not apply to kerosene, yeah. I mean, what are you saying? And they come from the same... Yeah. What that means is uh, uh, premium is actually subsidizing kerosene because they come off the same... Yeah. So what these guys will do is uh, some people will simply buy one and then fill it up with the other. And it was happening quite a lot and damaging engines, even in Nairobi. It still happens now, right? Some Adaptation, yes. yes. Oh. So that, 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 that kind of um, adulteration comes from the fact that your, your tax system does not obey the chemistry of the production of the product. Right. <laughs> and that's why, that's why uh, it will stay like that. In the last few weeks, government saw the pressure. Yeah. And instead of trying to solve this problem by saying, okay, should we make this tax system rational and ask ourselves, do we really need this high level of taxation of fuel? What it does is give people the impression that, well, prices rose internationally by 9%, but you're not. The problem is you cannot maintain that yeah. forever. Uh, why? The government of Kenya has no money. I mean, they spent all of it building a train, building electricity yeah. uh, to nowhere. I want you to expand a bit more on that because, so last year they added petroleum development levy by five shillings. Yes. Um, and so this year there's been uproar. Yeah. Uh, and instead of removing that development levy, for example, which doesn't currently doesn't have a legal framework in terms of how it will be implemented, they've had this, they've added a complexity to it, yes. a sort of subsidy, yes. and it's subsidy to private sector. Yeah. Yeah. So even instead of just like lowering the tax, they said, okay, no, what we'll do is we'll compensate um, the farms for what they've lost, so about four shillings, um, and so that, that's what happened. I mean, how does that complex, I mean, it just adds more complexity to it, um, and the challenge will be that as the prices go higher, I mean, what, what, what will happen? Yeah, um, so obviously, Prices were, were a little lower last year. Um, uh, the government of Kenya was under pressure to yeah. continue to raise taxes or to raise more revenues. Why? The economy was doing poorly, but also more importantly, uh, GABA had huge deficits. Yeah. Which they've had. I mean, the government of Kenya has a huge deficits, which it's maintained for eight, nine years. <laughs> so we have a problem. Yeah. Uh, and petroleum, as usual, yeah. is an easy product to actually levy taxes against. Yeah. Uh, why? You give the impression that it's a foreign product, right? So you, 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 there's a lie that if you tax a product, uh, it's, it's total, uh, what is it called, Vivo, or yeah. those international car funds that actually bear it. Of course, it's nonsense, but, yeah. <laughs> but somehow um, they try to make you look like, no, that, that's not even a tax on, on the past. On the that's, that, yeah. Yes, that's mm. a tax on the, on the farm. Of course, it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, so, petroleum, uh, yes, it used to be, I think, 40 cents, that at five shillings, yeah. five shillings um, per liter, which is huge. Now, this year, there's no petroleum development that's taking place. Instead, they give the impression that this money can be used to cushion consumers against price, sharp increases in prices. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's, that's the money that's being used uh, based on the last um, crisis on 15th. That's the money that's being used to pay, uh, to keep the margins for, 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 the, for the dealers, right? Yeah. By saying, look, you can't raise prices. So prices have been kept at what they've been for the last month. And then, but government is compensating them for 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 the real price increases by 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 giving them back that four shillings uh, from this petroleum development levy. You're right. Technically, it's not even legal because the development levy has not been passed in law. 
and it doesn't have regulations for how it works. Uh, yeah. Public participation, therefore, has not taken place. Yeah. Uh, but this is what happens when you start a complicated process of, 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 of managing prices that should actually compete. And then you find yourself every now and again, you know, uh, having to to push your fingers to, you know, to prevent <laughs> leakages here and there. So this barrel yeah. is leaking, so yeah. we are looking for everything to, to, to try and uh, to seal it. And it's, it's just coming a mess. As you said, Charles, if prices rise anymore, I think this price control mechanism is going to explode. Uh, yeah. Because Kenyans were given the wrong impression that if you have government monitoring every single cost, which they can't, to be yeah. honest. But if you have, as developer formula, and looks like a huge engineering formula, then we have this thing in control. I think it's unraveling. Yeah, and um, I, I, I happened to go to the, the regulations, there's a current regulation review. Yes. And it was interesting to see the regulator almost making a case for private sector, to sort of say, oh, but private sector, in terms, uh, there's some things that haven't been factored in that cost, for example. So they were saying construction costs, for example, are not really factored. And so I feel like it's just becoming more and more complex um, the petroleum development levy, I think in other countries, what they've tried to use it for is a smoothing sort of mechanism so that people don't notice. They just realize, oh, it's only two shillings. You know, there's no big jump. They don't see the five shillings, seven shillings. So they two shillings, three shillings, then so there's less. And it's almost like a political, uh, um, you know, soothing people, more uh, political management, basically. Um, but like you say, I mean, they, they've made it too complex now that um, in the next price, if, if the prices need to go up, I mean, how much money is, is Treasury going to be able to pay to subsidize basically private sector? Yeah. Um, well, I don't think they'd be able to. Um, yeah. if, because if it continues to rise as it is, uh, that, that, that thing will unravel. But you're right. I don't see why it is the business of, the, of, the, of, the, of a bureaucrat in Kenya, right? Yeah. If somebody works in the, in, in the public sector to be justifying why private sector should be making money of itself. I think private sector should have the incentive to control their own costs and manage their own costs. Yeah. And that's why freeing these prices would be useful. Yeah. One of the things that government could do, which many governments do elsewhere, is to ask themselves, you know, government is still one of the largest single uh, buyer yeah. of, of fuel. Yeah. And my view is that its procurement management should be in such a way that it actually incentivizes farms that, 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 that sell petroleum at the most... Uh, cost effective, I mean, at the most um, competitive prices. Yeah. Because government, I think in, in our estimation, government buys maybe between 15 to 20% of all the fuel that's consumed here. And I'm talking about government, not necessarily in the central form, uh, county governments, national county governments, and government corporations. Yeah. Um, uh, so if we decided as a big buyer to try and discipline the market by saying, look, we'll try and go, or our procurement will be based on people who buy the cheapest, uh, and make that process transparent. That helps with moderating prices, but also gives the in, in, incentive for farms to do that well. Uh, but now when you have a government official yeah. telling private sector that we actually know you're hurting and we'll give you an extra 50 cents <laughs> and all that, yeah. um, you wonder, you wonder because their intention is to protect the public public interest. You, you really that, wonder. I mean, isn't that... Uh, on which side is this guy? It's uh, regulatory capture. Precisely. I think that's less capture uh, and it's best where you're um, a public official feels that it's their role to... to protect specific farms yeah. and to make sure that their costs are... To make sure that all their costs are covered. Okay, I mean, that's, uh, that's an interesting one. I want to shift a bit now to, um, to again, still on taxes, um, but one of the things that has been... In, put back again, VAT had been exempted for LPG. Yes. Right? Um, and now globally, we're going through what, you know, sort of they're calling the energy transition. And so you're trying to encourage the pickup of more sort of cleaner yeah. energy. 
Uh, and we're actually seeing a, a sort of a, there's an increased yeah. uptake yeah. Uh, of that. But it was coupled as well with a kerosene uh, increase. So less people are using kerosene and people have started moving to LPG. Are you seeing that now tax again will be a risk towards um, the energy uh, transition? Yes, it will. Uh, my view about these things is um, mm, the logic of, 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 of making households, because we're speaking about households here, right? Yeah. To stop using kerosene yeah. um, and to transfer towards using cleaner energy and specifically um, LPG is very real. And it's something Kenya struggled with for about 20, 20 years. Yeah. The main barrier used to be the equipment, where yeah. the equipment was basically buying... The, the the store the cooking apparatus right yeah. okay. together with the with the, the regulator and the and the and the cylinder which yeah. is the tank yeah. um, now some farms have come up with new ways to to try and make that cheaper and all that that transition is necessary and government tried for a while to the ministry of energy to 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 subsidize or to provide people with an opportunity to move that way I think that's 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 the that's the way the reality however is for as long as there's a, there's, a, there's a view that kerosene is used by poor people, which is not necessarily true. Some yeah. of kerosene is actually used in industrial processes. So mm. many big farming... Jet fuel. Yes. Yeah. Many big farming, even farmers, yeah. farming uh, corporations, I mean, yeah. plantation, use fuel for pumping water and for pumping, you know, for irrigation and managing some temperature stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I think we just have to understand that the country needs to make two uh, progress by giving people the incentive to use the cleaner sand, uh, whatever, uh, which might require that you reduce uh, VAT when you're selling the equipment related to 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 using cooking fuel. Yeah. Uh, um, now, if you have VAT on on, on cooking gas, yeah. I have always asked myself for the VAT general rules generally. Yeah. Why does it have to be 16%? Where did this rule come to that is just 16%? Uh, it's big government, says, government says, well, the IMF advised us. Well, these guys live in, in Washington. <laughs> um, uh, sales taxes in the US are something like 6% in some places, 4% in others. Yeah. Uh, why? Everybody believes that VAT must just be 16% is something I do not understand. Yeah. I agree as well that you shouldn't have VAT at 8% for some things and 6% for others because then that creates distortions. Yeah. But all this is telling us that, uh, and especially the petroleum industry demonstrates, or the energy industry in general, demonstrates how crooked and yeah. completely messed up yeah. taxation system in Kenya is. Because now, it's true, if you're going to use uh, LPG, it comes out of a process for which VAT is applicable. There's no reason why LPG should not be should not be paying for that. Yeah. But we are at a problem. I mean, rather we we at a crossroads because the tax rate for for I mean value added tax is 16 percent, and you know that if you apply it at this, the cost will be a bit higher. Yeah. But if you can demonstrate the safety that comes, so for instance, the losses in this country that comes from an exploded. Uh, uh, what do you call those pressure cooks, uh, stoves? The stoves, yes, yeah. the, especially those ones yeah. that explode yeah. uh, and burn houses, create serious in the, uh, uh, injury to kids and to... And also the health outcomes, I mean, of using now that, course, that's yes, your fuel. Yeah. fumes and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. If you cost that, LPG is still a much safer and yeah. also cost-effective one. The yeah. problem is just the startup yeah. cash, which is, you know, you, you need some, I think, um, maybe four, 5,000 shillings to actually acquire uh, the cylinder. Yeah. And, and that might be part of the problem. And then if you have to pay the uh, for the for the for the cost, my view is that the extra 350 shillings uh, is not by itself high, to be honest. Um, yeah. um, but if the other equipment was free of 
VAT and free of, I think some of it is it, but some isn't. If the other equipment was free of VAT and those costs could be brought down, then obviously it, 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 it would help. But I, I, uh, there's no easy way out. Yeah. We are just stuck in the fact that every time government wants to make um, one, or rather provide an incentive for people to use a, to, to use, um, a service or to use one form of energy source, they always think that, okay, let's transfer this, let's transfer this uh, tax to another thing. And it tends to be drivers, right? People yeah. drive and everything else. Yeah. Then they find it's not sustainable and then they have to bring back this tax again, yeah. to, you know, to... to but but I, mean, and I mean, will we ever have that energy transition because you keep... So you need those incentives yeah. to get people to, to pick up. But then, you know, like you said, I mean, the IMF comes into town and they're like, what are all these incentives? Let's remove all the incentives. And I think that's what also happened last year when government was pushed to a corner. Then they said, okay, these are the incentives. I mean, these are all these VAT things. And I, I think the CS then just sort of almost blanketly. But then what happened, uh, I mean, even in the oil and gas sector, the oil companies went back and said, no, this is not viable. So Talo at the time declared post majora and thing. So they negotiated and I told, okay, no, you, you it's fine. We, we, will, uh, we will just maintain it as it is. But then not everyone has the same access to, to lobbying. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, I actually think that um, taxation mm. policy is the, is, is, is the one place where citizens and governments or state operatives should have the most serious discussions. Because here is where government is saying, I want to spend money paying myself and paying for cars, mm. but I want you to pay. I want to take it off your pocket. So people should be very, you know, we should guard ourselves because that's our bucket. So yeah. I don't think we should place the IMF in that discussion. So that's a political discussion that we should have with government. And tell government, you cannot give us an excuse that yeah. the IMF has asked you to do that. Yeah. Um, this is a conversation that we want to have with you. And we are prepared, for instance, to pay these high rates. Uh, so that's one. The second thing is the transition. You're right. If we have this whistle start, whistle stop, where we have no... We, we provide an incentive for people to move away from kerosene and into cleaner sources of energy and more efficient sources of energy. Yeah. Then after two years... Because you have a huge budget deficit, you have to cover that deficit and bring back them. I mean, the change is not, it's never going to take place because those incentives are so uneven. Yeah. So perhaps fixing them. My view is that if we choose a transition path and we say that, look, for the next 10 years, this is what we're doing. Because in those 10 years, we expect people to move this way. Yeah. We want that trend to be maintained, right? To, to push some, some wind about it and maintain that trend. And tell people, come bring, come shine. You simply put a tax law with a... With a with a sunset clause, which says okay. this tax uh, incentive is going to end in, say, 2021. I mean, sorry, yes, 2021, 2030, or whatever as you do as you do that. Yeah. That provides incentives, even for private sector to start to plan. Start to invest in knowing that they have a 10 year window. Yeah. If it's changing every, every, every so often, yeah. we will ne never make that transition. And that's the sad part about it. Yeah. Because we know what the costs of maintaining kerosene is. Yeah. It's extremely dangerous to help. <laughs> Indirect fumes form. I mean, it damages kids' um, things. It burns up too many kids. And half of the injuries that many Kenyans have in terms of burns and everything else in hospitals come from, yes. Uh, yeah. So, of course, yeah, I mean, this... Kerosene lamp that went, yeah. So, energy access has, of course, has an impact on, on the health outcomes. Precisely, yeah. Um, I want to take you back a bit to 20, I think it was 2015 or around the 2014. Yes. Um, and I remember you, you saying this. You said... There's, there's way too many people in this town who have oil and gas cards, gas cards, right? In their cards, in their business cards saying oil and gas. Where is the sector to support that? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, six years later, where, where are we? Okay. <laughs> With Kenya's dream of becoming an oil and gas producer. Okay, yeah. fine. Let me, that was a tweet for those who are watching. That was a tweet. Okay, yeah. let, me, let me give a background. Let me just give a background so that I don't look like a guy who's just too negative. <laughs> um, so, just like everybody else, I think the year 2013 and 2014 were interesting years for Kenya. Because in the space of two years, uh, the country, or rather, it was announced that one, Kenya had found a huge aquifer of water somewhere around about Trukana as well, right? Yeah. That part of the world. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously, I think 10 months before, there'd been an announcement about the oil find. Uh, and that was interesting. And we actually thought, okay, this is something that's going to de determine um, Kenya's growth path, if not necessarily the whole country, but that area of Kenya. Yeah. So we started to monitor this. Subsequently, the quality of that water, because it was contaminated, it's very saline and it's contaminated with some stuff, so it's not very... The technology is not available to refine it, so that is kept for a while. But um, it's not impossible to refine. That could happen. The oil was actually the bigger one. Um, and the way we did it was, at the IEA was to ask ourselves, okay, how much is this oil fine? Because to be honest, many Kenyans think, uh, I saw Kenyan papers saying that Kenya has entered into the world of, uh, uh, what do you call it? There's a, there's a farm for, there's a, there's a term for, there's a, there's a journalist's term for, for oil, whatever, Kenya yeah. might have some oil shakes or something like that, yeah. suggesting that, yes, we are... It's one of the league of oil producers. Uh, yes, yeah. league of oil, big oil producers. Yeah. And the truth is, there are almost 80, 90, actually almost 100 countries, if you consider, yeah. that are actually oil producers. So being an oil producer is not unique. What's yeah. unique is the quantity. Yeah. So we ask ourselves, what's the quantity for Kenya? And if you quantify how much it is, it's about 600 million, 700 million barrels or 800 million barrels, yeah. with a population of 50 million people, it means that you only have 16 barrels per person. Um, that's not a lot. If you go to Qatar, I mean, so yes, those Middle Eastern countries, you have uh, something that, I mean, the number of barrels that they have are close to something like uh, 50,000, 60,000, in some places up to 100,000 barrels of oil per person. Yeah. So if you, if, you, if you quantify that by the amount of, if you scale it up by the, by, by the population and the size of the economy, um, it would be significant, but it's not something upon which would make us all oil barons, so for instance. Yeah. Um, so that was the important thing for us to find. And yet, when you looked around, you started to see it's quite a lot. I mean, if you meet lawyers, you meet uh, many people. Almost everybody has an, had an, a gas. That's the banking executives. Yeah, yeah. banking executives. Yeah. Everybody had something to do with uh, established uh, um, oil, banking, and gas oil and gas division and all that. And yeah. I was wondering why. Uh, because the quantity did not suggest to me unless something else came in or gas was available as, as well. However, if you yeah. go to places like um, uh, the South Sudan or more importantly, the one that I've seen is in Nigeria, yeah. the oil and gas industry is so big yeah. uh, in relative terms that it actually justifies that. So my view was, I think we were picking up a model from Nigeria for business operatives and transplanting it here when the quantity of oil that we have. So the, Nigeria produces 2 million barrels of oil a day extraction. Yeah. If Kenya's oil is extracted at the rate at which Nigeria constructs, I mean extracts, in one full year, we'll be there'd be no oil. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's important for us to scale our ambitions in that way. So that's the reason I was mentioning that. Um, since then, of course, tallow and all that, we also realized that the Kenyan oil had a specific quality, which means that above, I mean, below, I think, $58 some people say 45, I mean 40, yeah. 49, yeah. between 49 to 58, you have to get international oil prices at 59 for Kenyan oil to be worth extracting. Yeah. Um, so that's a new uh, thing. 
uh, which means that as it is right now, it's slightly less than, slightly above 50, right? Yeah. Means that the incentive to extract Kenya's oil does not exist until oil, international oil prices are very, very high. Uh, so that means that obviously the quality of the oil, the quantity and all that. Um, and also, I mean, you, you, you say that figure, but that figure is more almost... Um, sort of break even and you just make a bit of money, precisely, right? Precisely. And no company wants to just come in and sort of break even. They're precisely. looking for, yeah. you know, they yeah. go for places, yes. especially in such in capital intensity. I mean, you'd be looking for where your capital will make the most money, yes. Yes, yes. In the sense that, yes, if you're looking to invest, uh, say, a billion dollars in Kenya um, to get 200, I mean, say, 20,000 liters of oil per day, yeah. that same a billion dollars in another country uh, could get you the same number of barrels, but the margin for that barrel would be higher in that other country than Kenya. So you're right. Um, mm. that, that, so there are many, many things that make, so many things have to go right globally for Kenya's oil to actually create a lot of rent um, in, 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 in the country. So that's, yeah. that's part of the reason. Since then, of course, Talo has had its um, revisions. Uh, and so the, the push for oil extraction has actually been... Um, Sent back, so maybe we are another five years away before it can, it can, it can leave the ground. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been a very rich conversation. I'm very uh, happy you joined us today. Um, I don't know if you have any any other additions, uh, any other insights that you'd like to give us on on energy talks. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, energy, especially petroleum energy, is a globally traded product. Uh, so part of it comes from um, from uh, the fact that, uh, as you said, the investment competes globally. Um, so if you're going to have a, um, a find like what we did in Kenya, it's our luck. But managing it depends on uh, good economic reasoning and sense. So that's the that's first thing. Uh, the second thing is for, the, for, for as long as Kenya does not have huge, huge sources, uh, many countries globally rely on competitive oil markets globally to ensure that um, domestically the the the, I mean the the purchases or consumers purchase prices uh, oil at the most cost-effective ways. The biggest constraint to international, I mean, to the price of oil in Kenya, comes from the choices that are made by Parliament and the executive about the taxes. There's nothing we can do. We don't have a crystal ball to say that. Look, can we depress oil prices from forty-five dollars a barrel to say this amount? <laughs> That part we can't control. Right. What can be controlled, and which should be a big political and economic discussion in Kenya, is why government says that it wants to ensure that Kenyans have competitively priced oil and can consume safer products and transition away from, from, from less efficient to more efficient energy. Yeah. And every year, if you sell oil for 60, I mean, for, sorry, for 130, yeah. of that 130, close to 70 shillings. Yeah is taken in the form of taxes. What is government spending this tax on? And what does it mean to have such high taxes that people own cars in which they've made their own investments, right? And they can only ride it for 10 days a month. That's a conversation <laughs> we need to, uh, to have. Thanks. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think, uh, thanks Kwame. Um, I mean, it was, uh, especially that closing, just this idea that people have cars, they can't drive, and it's just down to taxes. Um, but also, I mean, in terms of energy transition, ensuring that everyone transitions into cleaner uh, fuels. Um, and that's our episode for today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yes.